You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Acts chapter 4 tonight. Uh, I believe that every saved person, and this being a Wednesday night, uh, I would say the balance of probability is that most of the people, if not all the people here, know Jesus as their Savior. If you do not, as Brother Rusty prayed, tonight is your night. Today's your day. Don't, don't put it off anymore. Make sure that you trust in Jesus before you go. Uh, but I believe every saved person comes to know in just a short amount of time uh, that it is a command for every saved person to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And I want to be a help to you tonight. Uh, it isn't long after you get saved that you hear or maybe you read the Bible verse uh, that says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Or go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That phrase, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, that phrase extends the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples there on the Mount of Olives, extends that to everybody who would one day believe, which is you and I. So the commandments that he gave to them in his earthly ministry, now that we are saved, are now our commandments. One of those being, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. However, even if we never heard those verses, even if we never read those verses, we have a conscience inside of us that teaches us when you find something really good, you don't keep that to yourself. I think of the story in 2 Kings chapter 7 where lepers are outside the Uh, gates of Jerusalem, and the Syrian army is scattered around besieging the city. And the lepers are dying because there's a famine in the city. They're outside because they're not allowed to go in the city. So they, they have this conversation, and they say, why are we just sitting here until we die? This is miserable. So if we go inside the city, they'll kill us because lepers aren't allowed inside. If we stay out here, we're going to die anyway, but it's going to be this slow, miserable death. If we go to the Syrians, maybe they'll have mercy on us and let us go. Or they kill us, but if they do, whatever, we're going to die anyway. So they go to the Syrian camp and find out that they're all gone. All the food is there, all the riches are there, all the horses are there, all the livestock, everything is there. They are all gone, and the Bible just said, the Lord made them to hear a noise. And they turned everyone against each other and and ran. Uh, So these lepers who haven't eaten in a very long time find all this food and provision and everything. So they start grabbing it and hoarding it and running to the secret spot that every leper has and starts hiding it there and then runs back and grabs some more and then goes and hides it. And while they're hoarding all these things to themselves, one of them stops and says these words, we do not well. This is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. They knew something this good has to be shared because there's people, our brothers and our sisters, who are still in Jerusalem dying and thinking that the Syrians are here. Somebody needs to tell them. Think about when we find a good restaurant 
or a good coffee shop or a good store or a sale. Uh, sometimes my wife just gets blown up by the ladies. Sale at Hobby Lobby, which isn't that going on all the time anyway. So sale here, sale here. Miss Priscilla talked about a barbecue restaurant that you went to the other day, okay? Apparently some of the greatest barbecue that you've had in a very long time. I never would have known that that place existed, but because of how she shared it, I wanna go. And I, I'm, I'm Asian, I don't even like barbecue, but I wanna go. So think, when we find something like that, we share it with people. We tell other people about it. Have you tried this coffee shop? Have you read this book? Have you been here? Have you been there? Have you gone to this store or whatever? When you find the gospel of Jesus Christ, when Jesus becomes your savior, certainly we should share that. That is the greatest thing that we can ever find in our life. Certainly we should share that. Now with some people, they have this personality where I'm, I'm, I've heard people say before, because they have this certain personality, they say, I, when I got saved, I started telling everybody about the Lord right away. They just had that personality. Pray for a young man named Max. He got saved yesterday. And when he got saved, he said, this makes me want to tell everybody because I want them to have this hope and I want them to have this light come on. He had that personality, very outgoing. Okay, so, and they, I mean, they don't know the Romans road. They don't know Leviticus from Copernicus, but they're going to share what they known, and that's just their personality. And that should show us something. You don't have to know everything in order to be a witness. If that's the only thing that you get tonight, you don't have to know everything in order to be a witness. You just have to know one person, and that's Jesus. That's it. Um, think of the blind man in John chapter 9, the blind man that Jesus heals, and the Pharisees are mad about it, and the Pharisees call him in, and they say, how were thine eyes opened? And he says this, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool, and I received my sight. The Pharisees ask, where is he? I know not. The Pharisees come back and say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. This man, this blind man, didn't know anything about Jesus. And here's proof of it. Here's what he says about Jesus. Whether the man be a sinner or no, I know not. He didn't even know if Jesus was a sinner or not. Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. We can all do that, right? We can all tell people who we know. Maybe you don't know everything, but you do know somebody. You do know Jesus and you can share that. But there are people who have that personality where conversation and confrontation just don't seem to bother them. There are many other people who don't have that personality where conversation and confrontation very much bother them. It doesn't come easy for them at all. The truth is even people on this side of the spectrum struggle with what I'm going to preach on tonight. Now, I want us to think about something, okay? If we know that witnessing is a command, if we know, if we have a conscience that compels us to witness, if we possess the Holy Spirit of God that leads us to witness to people and convicts us when we don't, why then do many people not witness? Is it because they're lazy? Uh, no, certainly there are people who are lazy and don't share the gospel because they're lazy. 
Is it because uh, they don't care about people going to hell? Certainly there are people who don't care. They honestly don't care that people are going to hell. Jesus talks about wicked and slothful servants. I would say that someone is wicked that doesn't care that other people are going to hell. I've got my ticket punched to heaven and I don't care about anyone else. I, I have major doubts about that person's salvation, by the way. Because the Bible says, you shall know them by your fruits. But he also talks about a slothful servant. Someone who says, yeah, I guess I'll go when I have to, but right now I don't see any need. However, in many cases of people who don't witness, I find that there is a desire to be a witness. Just in the past month, I've heard many people here in this church, in their own words, say this to me, I want to be a witness, but I really want to, but... Now let me stop here. Desire to be a witness is a great thing, but it's not enough. You have to, when we get to heaven, there are going to be plenty of people who tell the Lord, I really wanted to be a witness, but. And whatever sentence follows after that word but isn't going to fly. It's a command. It's a command to be a witness. Go ye, that's you. That's us. That's you and I. But I've heard plenty of people, even here, I want to be a witness, but. So we're going to take care of that tonight. We need to take care of that tonight. That doesn't need to be said in church pews. We need to get beyond that. Our desire has to grow further than a desire. It needs to manifest itself in action. Desire is great, but it's not even the first step. It's just kind of what allows us to take the first step. So we must move beyond it. So I'm not justifying. I'm not justifying when we say, I want to, but. I'm simply acknowledging that many people are in that situation. Many people, many Christians have found themselves or find themselves in that situation of, I want to, but. And knowing that many people find themselves in that position of desiring to be a witness, but that's why I'm preaching tonight. We need more than a desire. So the question is, what keeps somebody, what keeps somebody with a desire to witness from being a witness? There are multiple answers to that, but the majority of the time, the answer to what keeps somebody with a desire to be a witness from being a witness, I believe the answer is fear. One of the greatest hindrances to witnessing is fear. Many times people say, I want to be a witness, but I'm afraid. They say things like, me, share the gospel with somebody? Something as precious as the, go as the gospel? What if I mess it up? Here's what I'll say. The greatest mistake you can ever make with witnessing is not being a witness, Okay. But they say, what if I mess it up? Or they say, do you know who I was before I got saved? What right do I have to be used of God? Wrong. Nobody has a right to be used of God. It's an honor and it's a privilege. Certainly, it's an honor and a privilege that we shouldn't take lightly. But God wants to use you. God wants to use you. I don't know why. I don't know why he chooses to use you and me but he wants to use you and me. 
So for the devil to come and sit on your shoulder and say, you, you used to be somebody different. You have no right. That's a lie. Some people say, me, talk to somebody about Jesus? That I cannot think of something more frightening than that. I want to, but I'm afraid. How is the person going to react? How will the person react when I talk to them about Jesus? What if I say the wrong thing? What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Aren't I supposed to know the answers? In fact, I know I don't know the answers, and I'm ashamed that I don't. So I don't think I can do that. I want to, but I'm afraid. I don't know if I can overcome that fear. Yes, you can. You can be a witness, but yes, before you do, the fear must be overcome. If you're over here and it's not that difficult for you to start a conversation with somebody, let's say you're extroverted, whatever. The Lord has given you the gift of gab. You're still going to run into some fear over here. Maybe small fear, but fear nonetheless. Some of you over here, talking to people is the last on your list. You'll talk to people if you have to, but if you don't have to, I'll use five words in a day, and that'll be good morning, dear, good night. And, I'm, and people are perfectly fine with that. When you talk to them about going up to a door and knocking on the doors, a stranger answering at their home, and you talk to them about the Lord, some people melt when they think about that. But however small or great the fear is, we have to overcome it. Even though we may have a desire, if fear keeps us from acting on that desire, then we are not being a witness. Not being a witness is disobedience, and disobedience is sin. We must overcome the fear. And the great news is fear can be overcome. I know that because I've seen it in my life. The first, the first time I got up to preach in front of a crowd, I've told you about that. I practiced in the mirror. My message went for 15 minutes. It was great. I had my gestures, everything. I got up and I preached. It lasted for about two minutes and 30 seconds, and I sat back down. Embarrassed, scared as could be. The guys mocked me for months after that. I said, I will never, ever preach again. The Lord had other plans. Brother Rusty, did you ever see yourself being a public speaker? So I've seen it in my own life, the fear that I had when I first started knocking on doors. Being a silent partner, you just kind of sit there and you look pretty, and I failed at that. But then when it came time for me to knock on the door, my heart was, you know how sometimes your heart pounds, but sometimes it pounds so fast, it's up in your throat, and you, ugh, you can't even talk, and you feel sick, you feel nauseous. I had to overcome that, and I did. I overcame it. You have to overcome it, and you can. You can overcome it. I know it because it's happened in my life, but further than that, the Bible says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Why don't we fear telling somebody about a good restaurant? Why don't we fear telling somebody about a coffee shop or... A, a city or a cruise line or whatever, or a movie even? Why don't we fear talking to somebody about that? Could that conversation not go downhill as well? 
Certainly it could. We, a lot of times we have this fear of witnessing because we're afraid where the conversation can lead. Okay? We're afraid of maybe the reaction that the other person can have to the gospel, but that adverse reaction could happen in any conversation. But that doesn't keep us from any of telling people about any of those other things. We could tell people about a restaurant, and they can come back and say, I've been in that restaurant, and it's disgusting. Or we could tell somebody about a coffee shop, and they can say, oh, I've had that coffee, and it was terrible. Or we could tell someone, oh, I went to this place, and I tried this. Oh, that was horrible. And we just look back and say, I don't think so at all. I thought it was great. We don't walk away thinking, I will never tell anyone about Taco Bell again. We never say that. Why do we, we usually just reply, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you feel that way, but let me tell you my experience. Maybe that was your experience, but let me tell you my experience. How many times do you talk to someone, I will never go to church because I was burned by a church 10 years ago. Or I heard this, I heard this the other day, no, I'm, I'll, I'll never, come to a, I'll never come to your church because something happened to me at a Presbyterian church 25 years ago. Okay, that's like talking to somebody and them saying, oh, I, I never go to Burger King. I'll never go to Burger King ever. Why? Because I had a really bad experience at McDonald's one time. That doesn't make any sense. But you're going to run into that, just like you would with anything else. But why, why don't... Why, why do we have so much fear in witnessing that we don't have in other conversations? And I believe it's because Satan doesn't care when you talk to somebody about a restaurant. Satan doesn't care when you talk to somebody about a shoe store or a coffee shop or a menu item or a movie. He doesn't care about that. And he's the one who brings the fear. Is he the only source of fear? I think an argument can be made for that as far as terror is concerned. There is a healthy fear, a fear of the Lord. Here's all I know. Fear, it doesn't come from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear of witnessing does not come from God. So shouldn't that tell us something about having fear in the first place? Why would Satan bring fear about witnessing and not about anything else? Because he must know if people hear what we have to say, it's going to hurt his cause. So that's why he brings fear. Knowing, therefore, the source of fear when it comes to witnessing, there must be a way to overcome it because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is a way to overcome fear in witnessing, and I think we may be looking for the wrong solution to overcoming that fear. So that's what I'm going to preach on tonight, the subject of overcoming fear and witnessing. Lord, please be with the message tonight and help us to learn something in the short amount of time. We ask this in your name. Amen. I do not have a lot of time. I want to get moving. In this passage, Peter and John have just been threatened by the Jewish council in uh, Jerusalem. People call it the Sanhedrin. Uh, the council, it says in verse, uh, where is it, 18, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They didn't like that answer. Here's how they reply in verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done as far as the healing of, the, of um, a lame man, okay? 
You notice that word threatened there in verse 21, okay? They basically say, look, we're letting you go because we have nothing to punish you with now. But now that we're letting you go and now that we've told you where we're coming from, now we do have something to punish you for. So if you speak any more in this name, you have been warned that we now have the willingness and the ability to hurt you if you keep on witnessing. We would do it to you now if we could, but there's not a law. Well, we just made the law. No more. When Peter and John left that council, they knew exactly what being a witness could bring to them. Verse 23 says, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Now, I would imagine that an element of fear came in hearing that news. Would you not agree? If they didn't have fear in witnessing before, let's say that all of them were of the extroverted personality and they had no problem with witnessing to people. Maybe they, if they didn't have fear before, how do you think they feel now that they've heard a major religious body tell them, we have every opportunity and ability now to make your life miserable if you witness again in Jesus' name. Now, I believe they did have fear, as many of us have fear, but I want us to see how they overcame it. They overcame it, and God used them in spite of their fear to reach thousands of people to the Lord. Now, we can't go any further without saying this. They prayed, okay? That's technically not a point, but it kind of encompasses all of my point. They prayed, look in verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said. Now, we could spend much time here talking about the importance of prayer, and I am convinced that we do not hold prayer in the esteem that it should be held. We do not believe it's as powerful as it is. We do not believe it is as necessary as it is. We do not believe it's as incredible as it is. If we did, we would pray a lot more than we do. That's a message for another time. But all that to say this, okay, you're afraid of being a witness. I think everyone has an element of that fear. You're afraid of being a witness. Have you prayed about it? Have you told the Lord that you're fearful? Are you ashamed to admit to him that you're fearful? He already knows. He already knows. Just say, yeah, Lord, you're right. I am afraid. I don't want to be afraid, but I am. Have you told him why you're afraid? I find it an invaluable lesson and a perfect example that these Christians, who, by the way, had the same emotions and fears and uh, propensity in their flesh as we do, when they heard the threatenings of the Jewish council, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And I want us to see that. Now, it's not only that they prayed, which is very important. We need to take our fear to him. It's also when they prayed. They prayed immediately. Prayer should not be our last resort. It should be our first reaction every time. Many times we keep it to our last resort. They did not. They went to him right away. But further, it's what they prayed. It's what they prayed that I find so wonderful. What they prayed reveals the knowledge of Bible doctrines and truth that these early Christians had, who didn't have a Bible, by the way. But they had this knowledge, because the Holy Spirit was in them, of these doctrines and Bible truths that they relied on 
that help them to overcome their fear, and it will help us overcome ours as well. Listen, listen to what they prayed. Look in verse 24. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. If you want to overcome your fear, number one, see whose side you're on. See whose side you're on. Look at who the Christians believed and knew that they were talking to. Because of Jesus... They had access in prayer at any time to the God of the universe, the one who spoke a word, by the way, the one who spoke a word and trillions of stars were just flung into existence and he can call them all by their names. The one who sculpted the mountains and, and molded the landscapes. The one who filled the oceans that man still hasn't fully explored. The one who made the birds and the animals and the bugs and, and the fish and all of that. As they put it, they prayed to the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, was that just the introduction that they chose that day for their prayer? One day they said, dear Jesus. Another day they said, dear Lord. Another day they said, our Father which art in heaven. No. In the opening of their prayer, they were stating, Lord, we know who we're talking to. Thou art God. Questions. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there any problem that God can't bring the solution to? Can God be defeated? Can God be discouraged? Can he be confounded? Can he be ambushed? Can God be surprised? Can the God who created all things be overpowered by the things he created? No. Certainly not. And I love that these Christians started their prayer by remembering that God was the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-abundant creator of the universe. That's who they trusted in. That's who they served. That's whose side they were on. Isn't that whose side we're on? Isn't God still the same God? The hands that flung the stars in place and molded land and sea are still the same unchanging hands that cradle you and me. Okay, so you're afraid to be a witness. Remember whose side you're on. Remember who you serve. And remember, he's not the one who gave us the fear. The spirit of fear comes when we start focusing on who's on the other side. And there is another side, certainly. There's, there's a reason God often refers to his children as soldiers engaged in warfare. Because there is another side, and that side can bring fear, because that side is a formidable enemy. But see whose side we're on. And if we're on God's side, then whose side wins? So see whose side we're on, and see whose side wins. Read verse 24 again with me. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So on the other side, who do we have? We have the heathen. 
which is it, this all-encompassing term, right? A very general term describing anybody who isn't on the Lord's side. And the heathen are raging, right? The heathen are raging. And notice with me, God is the one who warned us through his servant David, there will be heathen in the world and they, there will be another side and they will rage. That word rage could mean any of these things. Be angry, be furious, seethe, storm, spit, fume, burn, rant, rave, snort, kick, protest. The heathen will be there. And what is God saying? They're going to put up a fight. God told us that this was going to happen long before Jesus ever walked the earth. This is a quotation of Psalm 2 that David wrote a long time ago. The heathen would rage, general term, heathen. But then God gets more specific in verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers. So part of why that other side is so, so formidable, think about this with me, part of why the other side can bring so much fear is because many times it's those in great authority who are raging against the Lord and against his Christ. God told us that this would happen and it came to pass back then and it's coming to pass now. We have government telling us you cannot have church. And look back then, they had Herod, which, who is the Roman, uh, how do I put it? The Roman placed king of Judea, okay? His power was basically ceremonial, okay? The Romans were in charge, but they're, okay, have, have a Jew over you, if that makes you feel happy. So they had King Herod, they have Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea, both of those came together against Jesus. Then you have the Gentiles, which is the Romans and the Greeks. And even the people of Israel were gathered together on the other side against Jesus. That's a formidable enemy. That is government, that's law enforcement, that's the general public, and that's even friends and family that are against all of them coming together and saying, we don't like Jesus and we don't like his witnesses. That was happening back then and it's happening now. Now, government didn't like witnesses back then because the more followers of God, the less followers government has. You realize if everyone followed God and just obeyed God, we wouldn't need government? And they know that. They know what threatens their job. Law enforcement doesn't like witnesses because witnesses tend to upset the status quo. Not because we were looking to be obnoxious, but when we go in droves and tell people about the Lord, the public tends to get upset. And the status quo shifts. And law enforcement's job is to keep status quo. Our, when we share the gospel, that is turning the world right side up. They see it as you're turning the world upside down. So that's why they don't like it. Now, the Gentiles didn't like it. Because Gentiles have their own religion and they have their own beliefs. So for a witness to share his beliefs, that goes against my beliefs. So they're not going to like that. And of course the Jews don't like it. Because every time they hear the word Jesus, they're reminded we're the ones who crucified him. So of course they're not going to like that. 
God told us a long time ago that this would happen. God told us there would be a raging conflict between the saved and between the heathen. And the thing dividing both of them is the gospel of Christ. The saved person desire, go forward with the gospel. The heathen's desire, let it spread no further. The saved desire, be a witness. The heathen's desire, stop all witnesses. And when we see who's on the other side, it can bring fear. Certainly it can. But see whose side you're on. And if you're on God's side, then whose side is going to win? And did you notice the words that God gave to David in these verses? He didn't simply declare. He didn't state, the heathen will rage against the Lord and against his Christ. He asked a question. Why did the heathen rage? Sure, the heathen are going to rage, but why? Don't they realize who they're raging against? Are we following that? Why are they raging? Sure, the heathen imagine that they are going to stop the gospel. They imagine that they are going to stop the Lord and stop his anointed. Don't they realize they're imagining vain things? That's kind of a dumb imagination if you think that you're going to beat the Lord. They're raging against the Lord and against Christ. They're not going to win. And the Bible says both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. To which people might say, yeah, and they killed him. They killed Jesus. No. No, they didn't. No man took Jesus' life. He laid it down. Look in verse 28. They didn't kill Jesus. They only did what God's hand and God's counsel determined before to be done. Jesus' crucifixion wasn't a victory for the heathen. It was God's greatest victory. Church, when you're on God's side, even when it seems the other side is winning, God's already won. He's had them checkmated since before time began. Read the end of the book. So whose side are we on? That's whose side we're on. His side wins. So put any king, put any ruler, put any raging public, and put a multitude of those people on the other side. They can rage, they can rage all they want, but if they think they're going to beat our side, they're imagining some pretty vain things. And this is what the Christians are bringing out. Now, with all of that being said, we still often feel fear. Part of that is just because we are truly weak. We're just, we're, we're pitiful people. We are very weak. Our, our, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. Even though we're on God's side and we know that God's side wins, we can still feel fear. And like I said at the beginning, that fear has to be overcome. And I think people are looking to the wrong solution to overcome that fear. See the solution with me. Look in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Verse 30 is basically saying so that your ministry can continue. So we have fear in witnessing. What is the solution? Many people seem to believe that the solution is for the fear to be removed. Now, here's where I need you to stay with me. 
many people believe the solution is my fear needs to be removed. Their prayer would be, Lord, grant unto thy servants that our fear of witnessing would be removed so that your ministry can go on and we will be a witness. And that is why many people are never a witness because the fear is always there. Whenever they think of knocking on a door or witnessing to a neighbor or a friend, coworker, classmate, family member, fear just wells up inside of you. And you pray, Lord, remove the fear. And it's still there. How will those people react when I talk to them about Jesus? What opposition may come if I start this conversation? And the fear keeps them from witnessing. Notice with me, these Christians didn't ask for the fear to be removed. They said, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And that is a big reason, reason, that is a big reason why I am persuaded that these Christians did have fear. Because if they didn't have fear, why would they ask for boldness? We don't need, there can be no boldness without fear. Eddie Rickenbacker was one of the most skilled pilots in World War I. Uh, he had 26 aerial victories. He was the United States' most successful fighter ace in the war. He's considered to have received the most awards for valor of any other American in World War I. He said these famous words, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. And that is very true. We don't need boldness or courage for what doesn't frighten us. Now, think about this with me. Many people seem to think that the solution of overcoming their fear and witnessing is for the opposition to be removed. Their prayer would be, Lord, remove their threatenings. And that's another reason why many people are never a witness, because opposition will always be there. The heathen will always be there, and the heathen will always rage. Opposition brings fear. Fear keeps them from witnessing. These Christians don't ask for God to remove the opposition, because, again, think about it. If there was no opposition, who would we witness to? Without opposition, without the other side... Soul winning couldn't exist. What souls would we win? So they don't ask to remove the fear. They don't ask for God to remove the opposition. They say this, Lord, we know who you are. Thou art God and we serve you. We are on your side. You told us this would happen. And of a truth, it's happening. The heathen are raging against you and they're raging against your son. We know they're not going to win, but they're putting up a really good fight. Behold their threatenings. That's what they say. Not remove them. Behold their threatenings. You can see what they just told us they're going to do if we keep witnessing. You see that. We are not asking you to remove the opposition, because without them there would be no one to witness to. We're not even asking you to remove the fear, but we are asking you this. Grant us boldness so that when that fear comes, we can do what we're commanded to do in spite of the fear. That was their prayer. You're afraid. Church, if you are holding back 
from being a witness because you are waiting for there to be no opposition, or if you are holding back from being a witness because you are waiting for your fear to disappear, you will never be a witness. The solution is Holy Spirit boldness in the face of opposition and in the face of fear. God's work and God's word go forward when Christians are willing to face the opposition and face the fear head on, remembering whose side we're on. And if we're on God's side, then what can man do to us? That's when the word goes forward. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the Bible says just a little while later in chapter 6, the number of the disciples was multiplied. Nowhere does it say their fear went away. Nowhere does it say the opposition went away. In fact, read the rest of Acts. The opposition got a lot worse. Do you want to see souls saved? You personally. When's the last time you asked, Lord, give me a soul? Let me see somebody come to church. I want to have a direct part of it. I want my fruit or my tree to bring forth fruit. When's the last time you asked that? Do you personally want to see souls saved? Do you want to be a witness? You need to ask God for boldness to knock on that door, even though you're afraid to do it. You need to ask God for boldness to start that conversation with your coworker, even though they may oppose you, and even though it may not go well. You need to ask for boldness to be a witness for him, even though your heart is beating in your throat. Holy Spirit, boldness is what you need. That, I cannot make it more complicated than then I'm not going to overcomplicate it is what I'm saying. It is that simple. Lord, we know who you are. We're on your side. They're on the others. We're scared of the other side, even though we know that they're not going to win. Give us boldness. And he did. Stephen stood in front of this same council in Acts chapter 6, and they said, when they saw the spirit in which he spake and the wisdom they could not deny his wisdom. There are two things in the Bible that God says anyone can ask for them and I will give it. I will not hold back. The Holy Spirit and wisdom. So if we are not being a witness because of fear, we need to overcome that. And Holy Spirit boldness is what we need. You're on the side of the same God who said, go ye therefore and teach all nations and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And as long as he is with us, we can't lose. Fear comes. It's part of it. Fear comes. But what time we are afraid, trust in him. And know he's with you. And when you know he's with you, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear anymore. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So, get over your fear. Ask for Holy Spirit boldness. Let the Lord use you. See somebody saved. Lead someone to the Lord. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.